Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. Today, I'm very excited that we have a guest who was a winner in Writers of the Future Volume 1 and a few years later became a judge, Nina Kariki Hoffman. Welcome, Nina. Thank you. So, you're one of the last holdouts of judges for me to be able to talk on this podcast, and I'm so happy I'm finally able to uh, have this time to interview. We're here in actually Hollywood at the uh, Writers' Workshop, and you just finished giving your talk to the, to the winners for Volume 36 and 37. Mm-hmm. So I guess taking it back originally, because obviously this is the Writers of the Future podcast, and we're interested in providing tips and inspiration and stuff for, for writers. So a little bit about your journey to becoming a writer taking it back from, you know, that led up to your win on Volume 1? Well, I started writing things for myself when I was about 12, and I would make up stories every night when I was falling asleep, and sometimes they were so exciting I didn't want to go to sleep. Um, And they'd be continuing serials and sagas about these magical people and ghosts and all kinds of things like that. So I was making those up and occasionally writing them down. And then I started writing them more in high school, and I had this great roommate named Nancy Washburn, and she would read them, and she'd say, where's the next piece? So I was writing more and more. Um, Yeah, so I had nice writing teachers who liked it, too. And then I got into college, and I was trying to major in biology because I wanted to be a science fiction writer, uh, but I am terrible at math. So I switched (laughs) over to English, and at that point, I was living in Moscow, Idaho, And we started a a science fiction convention there called Moscon. And we'd have people come over. And um, Kate Wilhelm was one of our guests of honor, like in 1981, I think. And I said, well, I've been thinking about Clarion. What do you think? And, you know, she didn't know who I was or anything, but she told me I should go. So then I signed up. And Dean Wesley Smith and I, we were, like, living in the same building, I think. And we, we drove off to Clarion in 1982 together. And then every instructor I had, which included Algis Budras, Orson Scott Card, Marta Randall, Damon Knight, Kate Wilhelm, and Samuel Delaney, they all said, you're doing a good job. So I thought, okay, I'll be a writer. (laughs) (laughs) And so then that's how I got started. That's quite some uh, voices of encouragement. It was wonderful. Yeah. 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 So then, I mean, you were at the get-go, so... How'd you, how'd you stumble on, because it was a brand new thing, Writers of the Future? Well, Algis Budras was, was the administrator, and he had also been my first week clarion instructor. And so he sent out notice to uh, people that he knew, writing students. People, he, he was often teaching the first week of clarion uh, mm-hmm. back then. And so he sent us things that says, this is a contest you should enter. And so then we all wrote stories and entered it. Yeah. It's awesome you won, and it's, it's grown considerably since yes. that first year. I think they have a lot more submissions now. Yeah, we, I think we had six or 700 that first year, and uh, we get thousands of submissions now. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, now, you write in three basic aspects of speculative fiction. You've got science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Mm-hmm. So do you have a particular love or a preference on the, on the three genres or subgenres? Um. I think I will generally write fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably my first choice. Um, but I, I really, 
I love to read science fiction. I'm very excited about Martha Wells. Um, she writes these Murderbot diaries, and they're so great. And Becky Chambers is doing wonderful science fiction right now. I get really excited. So sometimes I, I want to write something set on a space station, or I want to write AI. I don't yeah. feel totally confident about my science background. Yeah. Um, but so fantasy, I feel a little more comfortable because I've done a lot of reading on magic and stuff like that. And also there are fewer rules, perhaps. <laughs> or there, as long as you're consistent with whatever rules you have. Yeah, exactly. You want to set up a magic system that, that is internally consistent. And uh, Scott Card was saying you want the magic has to have a price. So, you know, if you're going to use magic, you get tired or you lose your hair or something like that. So, um, so that it's not just comes easily. Although I've written a lot of things where magic comes easily too. So I don't always follow what I've heard as advice. Right, right. Yeah. So now you teach at the annual Writers of the Future workshop. Yeah. And you've got a special, I guess, a program that you have on coming up with story ideas to deal with um, story block, you know, writer's block. So can you talk about that a little bit, how, what you've done and how you've evolved it and how that works? Well, so one of the things that happens at Writers of the Future is that people have to write a story in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. They're given three things to start with, a uh, subject to research for an hour, uh, an object, and a conversation with a stranger. And our mind is a pattern-making machine. So anytime we've assembled three things, we're going to start building connections and figuring out how they go. So I started playing Dungeons & Dragons in like 1979, I think, when there was just like a blue book. And you got graph paper and drew your own dungeons. And you rolled six times for characters to find out about their strength and their dexterity and their, uh, whether they were lawful or, or chaotic or evil, or I don't know, I don't remember, but, but I, I really liked rolling dice to get traits. And so I started making these roll-ups where you take a 20-sided die, you roll for a protagonist, and I've got a list of 20 different protagonists, you roll for uh, a companion antagonist or, or other, so, and then you might roll for a setting, you might roll for a, a cursed object, you might roll for a quirk or a goal, but there's going to be five ingredients. And once you get five ingredients on the page, you just start, you just write for five or ten minutes and things will start coming to you. So it's sort of on the same principle as the three things. Um, you just put together your ingredients and you cook up a story. So I've done a lot of different roll-ups and I want to assemble them into a book. Yeah. Um, I just have to figure out the layout because I have it on eight by eight and a half by eleven paper at this point, and I can get all all five categories, twenty items each on that page. But actually laying that out in a book, I'm just going to have to go ahead and have it be two pages because <laughs> otherwise the print the is going to be too small for you to read. Yes. So yeah, I just have to figure that part out, and then I'm going to publish. Yeah. So I'm looking through your bibliography of of what you've written here, and there's just You've done so many different types of stories. So when you've done your, your novels, did you start off as a short story writer and then move to novels, or did you, they just inter, intersperse for yourself? Uh, it was both at once. Yeah. Yeah. And did you ever have it like where you had, well, basically where you can write multiple storylines at the same time, or do you have to start and finish it like this book before you start the next book, or you can start, here's, I've got a, a short story, and then I'm going to go 
of a fantasy short story, and here's a science fiction novel, and here's a novella of a horror. You know, do you like bounce around, or do you kind of like stay in a, in a in a channel for a while? And then you say, okay, I'm done with fantasy for a bit. Now I'm gonna move over to science fiction. Now I'm gonna move over to uh, uh, horror. Uh, I don't think I have a plan. Yeah, I think it's sort of like I'm working on this project, and usually, when I'm writing a book, it's okay. I'm just gonna go in every day and write some more of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever the book may be. But one of the other things I suggest for people is if you want to write short stories, take your characters from your novels and then write about something that happened to them before they got to the book. Um, one of the things I was talking to the winners about today was you take a rite of passage that they had before they became a character in a novel, their first kiss, their first night away from home, uh, their first ride in a spaceship, whatever, you write a little story about them out there. Mm-hmm. And maybe with somebody else that they end up knowing later. Like maybe it's their first romance with somebody that they hate in the novel. But you write that that piece, and then you get to know your characters much better. And so then their responses in the novel are going to be shaped by their, their earlier life experiences in, in a short story. And so oh, that's you, interesting. you can learn about them that way. And then also you get short stories, and sometimes you sell them. So, so yeah. now, so that becomes your own research for your novel as, yeah. as you're building that that character. Can be background. Yeah. yeah. So now, when on on your stories, are you making them of? You take real life incidents, and then they all then they kind of like morph into that story, or this is strictly out of your imagination. And um, I don't think anything's strictly out of imagination because it is learned life experience and whatever. You, I have to draw on my own emotional core mm-hmm. to um, inform my characters, but I, I don't think I generally take stuff in real life and fictionalize it. I'm usually just making stuff up. That, that I, I see that. So now with with respect to messages or, you know, I, I've got a, a theme I want to be able to do. I want, I want to be able to convey. Yeah, I hate that stuff. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I also teach writing through uh, Fairfield County Writer's Studio in Connecticut. I do on Zoom. And it's like one of my students has said, well, tell us about theme. Because, you know, I, please yeah. let me know what you want to know and I'll try and find out about it and, and let you know. And it's like theme, oh, theme, oh, you know. Uh, Somebody else tells me what the theme of my books is. I don't go in thinking I'm, I've got a message to convey. I've got a theme that I want to follow. I just like I want to come up with cool stuff, neat characters in interesting situations, dealing with problems, and then uh, whatever the theme is. I don't know what it is. So yeah, that's not my that's not my practice. <laughs> I mean, I actually prefer books myself where I feel like I know the author. As mm. we are reading their work, because mm. it's um, how they how they would deal with situations and and the ultimate outcome of the book, not just necessarily this you know this person you know the the author is a really good antagonist or the author you know not that at all, but just I think sometimes you can get the general outlook that an author will have towards life out of their books. It's not that you're trying to give a message, but just like like with writers of the future. We're geared towards middle school on up, you know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. there are certain types of books we just don't, stories that we just don't publish yeah. here, you know. Yeah. So the people that tend to win writers of the future, the judges, are of a very similar 
from my perspective, mm-hmm. um, mold, even though there's no religion in common, there's no ethnicity in common, there, there's no nothing in common no other political. than, yeah, yeah, no political common. You know, we got the whole spectrum here yeah. with Writers of the Future and Illustrators of the Future. But we have the one thread in common is that desire to to push forward uh, the genre of science fiction and fantasy, speculative fiction, yeah. and to respect that, you know, a new generation needs that helping hand, you know, and that, okay, here you go, that, that vote of encouragement, you know, like you got from Algis and yeah. from those other judges, you know. That Fantastic. It's, it's so vital. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that's been really good. And so I'd like you to talk about that a bit. What you've observed over the, you've been a judge for 21 years? 21 years. I found out last night. Yes. <laughs> Prior to that point, it was just a really long time. Yeah. So what's this been What's been your experience over the 21 years as a judge? You've seen a lot of winners. You've experienced a lot of workshops. Um, you've lived a lot of life during that time, and you've seen various evolutions and changes of the genre. Mm-hmm. You know, so can we talk about that a bit? Well, it's been great coming here, and it's been great seeing people win. We used to have a winner from my home workshop, The Wordos, every year for a while there. Um, and that was awesome, too. Yeah. Um, because we were always saying, submit to this contest. It's so great to win. You get this fabulous workshop with Tim Powers and David Farland, and then the judges come in and talk to you, and they put you up in Hollywood, and you get this award ceremony that's that's just amazing. And it's a great experience. And so we, it's it's just been great to come here and get a lot of information. And some of the people contradict each other. Like I just saw like Todd McCaffrey and Dean Wesley Smith talking about independent publishing yesterday. And they were sort of like uh, arguing back dueling. and forth. They were dueling. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was really interesting. One of the things I heard at Clarion is that you're going to get all this information. You're going to be gobsmacked. You're going to go home. Maybe you can't write for a while. You have to integrate it. And you're going to hear from different viewpoints, and then you have to figure out which one to follow. Um, so that's part of the sorting system. These guys are getting a concentrated dose in the, the week-long workshop, but it's it's a lot of wonderful information. One of the other things I'd say to them is this is your cohort. You are meeting other people and they will be your lifelong friends. And that is so valuable to be in touch with your cohort. And also you get a chance to talk to a lot of people in the industry who know a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's been really valuable. So on this, in terms of how you've seen the genres evolve or change over the, oh, like you yeah, say, yeah. You, you talked about wordos because well, there was, like Gary Witchie was really big. He yeah, was, he was people big come and go. Eric Witchie is still teaching. He's teaching a course called Fiction Fluency through Word Crafters in Eugene. And uh, people take that class over and over again. They get so much out of it. It's like once a month they, they meet uh-huh. for two for a weekend on Zoom. And then there's another lesson the next month, and it's it's really intense. But So he's really active in the teaching world. Um, I was thinking about the genre today. I'm in this book club with friends, and uh, we're reading all these great books. I'm really excited about what's going on in the field right now. There's a lot of diversity. There's there's wonderful um, writers from all kinds of, of ethnicities and stuff mm-hmm. going on, and they're doing great books. So... That is really thrilling. That, yeah. That's great, yes. Yeah. So now on, on the subject then of uh, people writing and uh, the spine writer uh, writing, 
How did you deal with it when you, you know, you had to get going in the next book or you wanted to go in the next book and then had like, it was like a slow start or you're going into a book and then all of a sudden it's like, it's not going anywhere. What do I do? How, how did you deal with that on, or did you ever have that as a problem? Once you started, it just flowed. I'm just thinking like some of the things I would do was I'd say, okay, this weekend I'm going to turn off the phone. I'm going to close all the curtains. I'm going to stock up the fridge and I'm just going to spend three days writing. And then I would get a novella out of it. And that was really cool. Um, and that was just like, okay. And then it's like, I used to say, all right, if I write five pages, I can go watch half an hour of Inuyasha or some anime and then go back and write another five pages and watch. So you plan your rewards and then you get some work done. And that was really fun. And I do those intensive weekends. And then I, I lost my brother and somehow I couldn't do it anymore. So life comes along and switches out how you work. My friend Jerry Oltian, he says, you always have to reinvent yourself and find another way to get yourself working. Um, right now, I go to a Tuesday morning write-to-prompts thing where Carol Danhauser from the um, Fairfield County Writer Studio will give me a first sentence, or whoever's in the Zoom, she gives you a first sentence and then you write for 15 minutes, and then she says, introduce the sound of broken glass. And you have to stick that in the story and you write for 15 minutes. And then she says, introduce a strange food item. And then you just have to stick it in whatever you're doing. And then you, you end up with a piece of a story or most of a story. And, and that's really fun. So write to prompts is a way to get going. Mm -hmm. um, Roll-ups, we sometimes do that. Right now at Wordos, we have four seasonal short, short things where we just write stories and read them aloud. And Halloween is one of the ones. So I have to come up with a Halloween story in the next week to read aloud. So we all read a thousand word pieces and we get to hear what people did. We come up with the prompts ahead of time. Uh -huh. Like one of them is dead relatives come back to critique your choices for this this year. Huh. Yeah, there we had about eight of them. We tried to narrow it down, but we, we saved yeah. the best top ones. And then everybody, everybody, we, you're free to write whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But if the prompts inspire you, that's also cool. So then we get together and read those out loud. So there's all these things that are generating impetus to write in my life right now, but it's all short stuff. So I need to figure out again how to write a novel. And NaNoWriMo is about to start, and so I think that's a good place to start. Right. Yeah. And then do you ever have, like Kevin Anderson goes, he does his hikes, you yep. know, he does his climbing, and, and um, some people will go to the beach, and you know, some people will just do different things that just... Yeah, Todd said he writes at Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. So you do best when you write, you just, you're at home, you shut off the outside world and write? Uh, or? I wrote a lot at coffee shops. I'd make dates with people, and, and then we'd meet at coffee shops and write for three hours. We used one of Eric Witchie's things called Parallel Play, which he came up with the system based on brain science where you write for 45 minutes, you talk for 15, you write for 45 and talk for 15. And so that's a group writing thing and, and accountability. People are around you working, and so that gets you to work. And we're doing that on Zoom now. Wow, yeah. So I've got four afternoons a week where we do a three-hour session um, with people all over the country at this point because Zoom. Yeah, you can do it everywhere. This is one of the weird Zoom. benefits of the pandemic is that I, I know people in Massachusetts and, and Connecticut and all this stuff, and, and we interact on a regular basis because Zoom. 
which is a, which is a good thing on it's that. It's been great. So on um, in terms of, of advice or tips for um, young writers, we're not even just young. We have a winner this year that's uh, 67. So in terms of, I guess, if you say, okay, this is something that's to me is really important, mm. you know, as a writer, mm. what would you say? I think finding a community is really powerful. Um, workshopping is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Some people, it's not going to work for. But I think there's other ways to connect with writer friends. For me, like Dean and I, Dean started a workshop, and I don't know when, it was like 79 or something like that. Dean, Steve Fonestock, uh, me, John Gustafson, Lorianne White, who became a writer of the future later. I think we were like uh, people in that workshop in Moscow, Idaho. And so we were all out there looking for information. We'd go to NorwestCon. Well, going to conventions is a good way to connect with people on your wavelength. We'd go to NorwestCon and we'd take the writing workshops there and we'd, try to, we'd bring back information. We'd tell each other about it. And we'd write stories and turn them in and we'd critique them. Mm-hmm. And we were learning. And, like, Dean and I went off to Clarion, and then we came back and told them what we'd fig- found out in Clarion. And um, so having – that was before Internet. Yeah. It was before we could get online and find out a bunch of stuff, which I think there's a lot of resources now, including the Writers of the Future online workshop, where you can get a lot of great information. But actually having friends who are doing the same thing, striving for the same goals – Friends who will support you rather than tear you down. That's really important. I think it's very, very important. Yeah, I've been able to teach at Clarion a couple of times, and I get to teach the first week. And one of the things I want to tell people is you can be helpful or you can be funny. This is my dad was an educator at Cal Institute of the Arts, and he gave me this advice before I taught for the first time. It's better to look at what the author's vision of the story is and try to figure out ways to help them write that story than to take it over and uh, tell them how you would write it. And it's also better to be helpful than to be funny. Everybody will laugh at your funny remark, but that does not help. When you put people on the defensive, they can't hear what you might be saying that's good. Right. So you want to support people in their vision of the story and just help them where maybe you were confused, figure out, where you were confused, and let them know that they didn't put enough on the page for you to get that. So in workshop, you can find that stuff out. See, it's interesting with the contest when Mr. Hubbard created it, there was that exact thing in mind to, you know, not to say tear somebody apart or yeah. do it this way. It's just, it's, no, I'm, he provided a platform that a writer and then a few years later an artist could have the stuff seen and acknowledged and because of the kind of people that we brought into, you know, you're saying, you know, be with good people. Yeah. You know, the kind of people we have on board as, as judges. Yeah. That tends to create that family, which the Rising Feature family has gotten so big now over yeah. the 30, now 38 years, with over 700 winners over the years. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we have you from the first year, and we've got winners each year. Different ones, you know, will will bubble up, and all of a sudden they become the the real bright sparks in the industry. Yeah. And some of them, like yourself, Dave Farland, Eric Flint, um, Sean Williams, yeah, who won the contests are now judges. 
you know, and are paying it forward. Yeah. And same thing with the illustrator contest now. With Brittany. With Brittany. That's yeah, right. That's yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's just a good thing seeing how it pays it forward and that initial purpose as established, you know, by the founding of that contest in 1983 by Mr. Hubbard. It just, it's done that. And it's, it's such an agreed upon this, built so much agreement of amazing people that just continues to pay it, you know, pay forward and other people jump on board and, it now has the recognition from all the editors, from, you know, like I said, Tony Weisskopf is, is the keynote speaker this year. Mm, but good. she, you know, we started listing out all the, all the judges and winners that she publishes. And we had the same thing with Tom Doherty with Tor, you know. Uh, Kevin Anderson is constantly bringing in with his Wordfire Press, you know, winners. And he publishes other judges. And same thing with um, Eric Flint. He's got his... 1632 press, you know. Yeah. So there's, it just, it, it, it's continued to grow and that basic, you know, desire to help the, the fellow writer or artist, it's really good, you know, because it's really easy to go out there and find somebody to tear you down. Yeah. It takes nothing to find somebody who's willing to say, eh, I wouldn't give up my day job. You know, like, why do you yeah. have to say that? They don't, but they yeah. do, you know. Yeah. And so... And then if you don't have armor, you can take that in and hurt yourself. Yeah. And so it's it's really important, too, to protect yourself as the writer and not let in what won't support you. You have to be able to fend off the negative, even though that gets through our shields so easily. Which is why it's also important to have like-minded people around you. Because mm. it's, you know... Somebody's going to come in there. You know, if anybody, you know, is involved in social media, you're going to get shot at. It's just, you can say, good morning, wonderful, what a wonderful day. And somebody's going to come in and challenge that. Yeah. You know, um, and it's just, it's a, it's a shock. It's a surprise. And if you're not ready for it, or if you're not proofed up for it. Yeah. Um, it can really send you, you know, down in, in emotional despair for any length of time, yeah. you know, if you're not ready for that. So that's, that's why it's really, really important, like, um, when people listen to this, this podcast, that others who have been there, done that, or others who say, look at, you know, I'm, I'm tracked with what you're going through right now, but let me t assure you, do this or persist or don't get into that or don't buy into their naysayers, Yeah, and you will make it, make it happen. So with that in mind... If you can give any of your, like, your own trajectory, how you've, you know, because some people sometimes will like to identify with hmm. a person I'm, I'm talking to. Have there been any points where, like, you seriously doubted your ability to write or to, to make it as a writer and then someone helped you? Or once you had your initial, once you were tossed in the air and they said, fly, <laughs> you flew. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, so... We were struggling. Like, so Dean and I, you know, we went off to Clarion together. We came home to our home workshop. We we put up a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you have to mail a story a week or you have to buy the other person a Coke. Um, and it, when you sell a story, everybody in the workshop is going to buy you a steak dinner. Um, and the, we, we had a lot of stuff like that going on. So there was a lot of um, cross-pollination or let's all go out there and get um, get better. And, you know, we didn't sell anything for years. <laughs> we, but we sent out a lot of stuff. Um, and so one of the things about that, that uh, Chris 
Christine Catherine Resch, Dean's wife, uh, we met her through Clarion, or actually they met at the at very the first Writers, Writers of the Future, Future workshop. workshop in Taos, New Mexico. But she had just been to Clarion right before that. She ended up editing the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. And she gave us insights into the editor's mind while she was doing that. And one of the things that I think Dean and Chris say is, and one of the things I just heard Leslie Robbins say downstairs is that you will get rejected from the magazine, but they're paying attention. Because first you have to say, well, what makes this story easy to reject? Um, and if they look at the first page and they don't see anything that pulls them in any farther, then they can send you a form rejection. But once they start noticing that there's something that grabs them, they're not, they stop looking for a reason to reject and they're looking for a reason to accept you. They are watching with every rejection to see if you are the writer that they want. Um, and so you need to keep sending stories back to the same magazine if you get any encouragement at all, um, because maybe they're at the point where they're waiting for you to write the story that they can buy. So that was good. So Dean and I were sending out a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then he would send stuff to places like a, a card-playing magazine, and he, he wrote this story about guys playing cards in, in a weird science fictional prison, and he sold it to them. And it's like he'd send stories to magazines that you didn't even know published fiction, and occasionally they'd buy things. And I, I'd send a story out to... I actually sent a story to a Nora Westcon workshop, and they used to do them like where the stories would be read by five people, but they would be anonymous. And then a, a crowd of people would go in a room and listen to the judges uh, talk about the stories that they hadn't read. And the author would be in the audience somewhere, and the judges would just be talking about their story, and they'd be taking notes. And it was like, this is really weird. They've changed it now so that everybody knows who, and there's like a small workshop, and you, you, yeah, you have like six people in a room, and you talk about stories everybody's read. But back then, this is like 1981 or 82, um, Eileen Gunn was one of those people who read the story and talked about it, and I turned in the story about a werelinx, and she read that story and she liked it. And then later on she told me I should send it to Jessica Amanda Salmonson, who was editing a book called Tales by Moonlight, and Jessica bought it. And so, like, that was an early sale for me, and it was really thrilling. And then I had another experience where I sent something to Asimov's after I'd had it workshopped at Norwescon, and they told me the seven-point plot outline, which I also heard from Algis Budras. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, oh, I'm going to rewrite this story and show those people that I know what I'm doing. And I used the seven-point plot outline to analyze the story and rejigger it. And then I sent it off to Asimov's, and I sold it, and it was really, really exciting. And my friend Lorianne White was actually staying at my house that night, and, and then I got the mail, and then we were just jumping up and down. <laughs> and Dean had a bookstore downstairs, and I'm sure that the customers were alarmed that the floor was going to fall in because they were so happy. It was right before Lori was going off to Clarion. So then yeah, you were jumping up and down and uh, caving in the, the floor in, in, right. in Dean's bookstore. Yep. But that's great that you were like, you were, it's like a team. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is really good. And that's. We're writing buddies. Yeah. It's really good to have them. So how many people from Volume 1, I've, I know that you're obviously still in touch with, with Dean. Anybody else from that first volume? Um, well, you know, I think Karen Joy Fowler was in that. And I've workshopped with her since. She's a wonderful workshopper. She's amazing. And she writes amazing stuff, too. Mm -hmm. 
I'd have to look at the table of contents. John Gustafson was also in our workshop in in Moscow. We, it was the Moscow Mafia. Yeah. Well, we spelled it M-O-F-F-I-A. And he was in an early volume, I'm not sure, as a finalist. Um, and he he's passed away since then. Right. But, yeah, so he was still in Moscow at that point. Um, but you're still in touch with the people. I know that every yeah. time I talk to somebody who was in whatever volume, yeah, I'm still touching with this and that. And the other yeah, thing. we didn't we didn't have the social connections at that point because we didn't have internet, we didn't have email, we didn't have any of that stuff in 1985. But we would, you know, meet at conventions. Yeah, convention was yeah. The, the the social media. At so that we, time. I didn't uh, didn't have the chance to bond with everybody in there. Mary Mary Frances Zambrino, I remember I really enjoyed meeting her, and I don't know what she's doing now, but right. yeah, I'd have to look at the TOC. It's been a while. Right. Yeah. So on, um, how would a person go about finding a, a group that they can join in or that, that would be appropriate? What, what would be the, the, the proper protocols? It used to be you'd go in the bookstore and just say, do you know of any writing groups? But I think there's probably apps now. Like, I mean, I know that Goodreads has various writing groups. In it, you know, See, so verse. that sounds like a resource. I don't know, because I've been in, in the Wordos for years and yeah. years, so I haven't been looking for another group. But I, I think there are, are ways to find people on, on social media in your community. There's, like, there's a, a Facebook page for um, Eugene Writers Anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so people in Eugene can jump on and go over there and find like-minded people and message them and try and form groups if they want to. And there's a whole bunch of different writing groups in Eugene. Some are just dealing with novels and some are short stories and some are both, but um, people connect. Yeah. Or you can take a class and meet people that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's also uh, the Writers of the Future forum on writersofthefuture.com. That's that's also open to aspiring writers and it's staffed, quote unquote, staffed by past winners who are there to help answer questions and connect you up. And they can also suggest writing groups that a person can, um, can participate in, just as well as, as just the Writers of the Future Forum. To, Very cool. There's lots of threads in there. It's gone, it goes back 20 years worth of, worth of the threads on there that goes back on the thing. Nice. And um, so that's something else that a person can look forward to. But it's interesting because, like, you were talking about it earlier on on the uh, with Dean and Todd. You know, someone saying this, no this, no this. Yeah. You know, and you got some people say, you know, go to conventions. Some will say, don't go to conventions. Some people will say, you know, going into critique groups. And other people will say, you know, just you know, like what we're talking about right now. On, yeah. You know, so that's what's really interesting to get a different take on it because it's mm-hmm. not it's not a one writing is not a one size fits all. That's true. Absolutely. In a very big way. Yeah. You know. So having what you're talking about here on, on surrounding yourself with like-minded people. So in terms of maintaining the integrity of your own storytelling, you know, because sometimes when you go to critique groups, they'll say, you know, you do this, oh, you should do that, you should do the other thing. But that's not quite what you're talking about, I don't think. Only take in what supports you. What I would say is I want to appreciate everybody's work on looking at my story and giving me feedback and I want to only use the stuff that's going to support my vision of the story. It's okay to ignore advice if it doesn't suit your vision. Um, and that's an important piece. Yeah. And it seems like, too, like 
you need to build your own voice, you know, so you can't just say, here's my story and I'm done. I've written a, a story. Unless got, you're Dean. <laughs> <laughs> but Dean writes like, what, 100,000 words a month he, he or something like lot. that. He writes a lot. Yeah. So, um, but Dean has said, um, uh, Mr. Hubbard said, you know, on songs like throw away your first million words, you know, it's going to take your first, it takes a lot of words to get like what's your voice because you're going to, Oh, I love the way Dean writes. I love the way Nina writes. I love the way Heinlein wrote, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to try to emulate that. Well, that's their voice that you're emulating hmm. to build your own voice. Do you have any thoughts about that on how you can how you get up to it so it's John writing and not John slash Dean? Well, I think I look to people who inspired me. Ray Bradbury and Jenna Henderson were really um, important to me mm -hmm. as stories that I would read over and over again and as stylists who I admire. And I think that's great. You're finding out what you like. I don't think I write like either of them necessarily, right. but I think that elements of what they were doing got deeply into me, and I hope well, that, makes sense. that I'm using the better parts, the parts, yeah. So I think it's great. It's great to read widely. Yeah. And find what you like. And if you start out imitating, that's okay, I think. You don't want to sell that stuff, but um, that gets you going. Right. That's what I was thinking. Like, he's, a writer has to write, and you have to be willing to, like, start, change, and stop a story, start, change, and stop another story, and not keep on rewriting that same story over and over again. Yeah, I, I generate new material. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. sometimes we found in the contest, some of okay, I'm going to rewrite it again. Okay, I'm going to make these little tweaks to it. Not just, there's so many ideas a person can have, you know. Yeah. That you just need to keep on writing, and all of a sudden, maybe something from your first story 10 years ago will come into play again. But you got to keep on the create, keep the creative juices going. Mm -hmm. So with what you do or what you did as as on the writing the different uh, stories, do you think that you had a particular runway or any particular length lead lead up to be able to establish your own voice as a writer? Or but you but you've been doing it since you were ten years old, yeah. coming up with your own stuff and and growing your voice that way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, no, I don't. I don't. I don't see any. So when you when you way. hit the deck, you were you hit the deck running, and you just were able to. I was just writing and writing. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the secret. That it's not even a secret. It's just something all successful writers write. Well, see, I, I can't make a generalization because there might have been somebody who didn't write a whole bunch, but but I think writing a lot is good. Yeah, and like you were saying, reading a lot. Yeah, reading a lot too. Yeah, and that's one of the advices because you taught the uh, Rising Future Workshop one year, wasn't it? At, Tim and I co-taught. Yeah. After Katie passed. Well, yeah. well, actually, when she was really sick. Yeah. Yeah. And um, she was so great. She was. Katie Wentworth was yeah. was the person who used to teach the workshop with Tim. Yeah, and she was one of the winners too. She from was. Early yeah, on. she was wonderful. But I did teach one year. Yeah. Yeah. So. In terms of, I guess as we as we uh, wrap up here, I guess the uh, the last question I would ask then is: So, what are you looking forward to at our event? You know, the the awards ceremony and the rest of the of this week of the workshop. Well, 
the award ceremony is always fabulous. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the theater today. We're going to go and rehearse. And I get to find out who I'm, who I get to present an award to. Yep. And that's always thrilling. But also I'm looking forward to spending more time with people who are here and getting to know them better. Which is great. Yeah. And if someone wants to get to know you better as to uh, how to find your work, I took the liberty of writing it down. We, there is one uh, site. Uh, I have a tribute website put up by Susan Ophirna. That's ophirna.us slash books slash Hoffman dot HTML. But that's ophirna, O-F-E-A-R-N-A dot U-S. Yeah. And also I'm, I have a couple of Facebook pages. So I'm semi-active on, on my personal page. Uh-huh. And if I have a new publication out, I will post it there. And I've got one coming up next week in the land beyond the world Oh wow, Spirit great. Thread. And, of course, they can find you on Amazon and in Goodreads. Yes. Or wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> one hopes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Nina. It's been great having this chance to, to chat with you. Thank you, John. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. And it's been globally syndicated on the United Public Radio Network. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Ellen Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Nina. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>